0: Take your Bibles and turn to Esther chapter 3. As you're turning there, let me go back and just give a little bit of a review. Esther chapter 3 is where we are today. Title of today's message is God's providence displayed through a wicked enemy. Now, if you haven't been with us the last several weeks, we've been in chapter 1. We discovered some things that were very, very true, um, not only historically, but also about our lives. As I said in my prayer a few moments ago, we're introduced to a wicked king, a wicked, self-centered, weak-minded, weak-hearted king named Ahasuerus or Xerxes. We're also introduced to several other characters. His wife, Queen Vashti, that's all in chapter 1. And if you go back and reread that story, or if you just listen for a few moments, you're going to discover that he, in a drunken rage, deposed his queen, kicked her out. She was canceled. And what is he to do? Chapter 2 tells us. Now, by the way, we're going to look at this in just a minute, go back to some definitions But he's got to have a queen, so what does he do? He he basically establishes a kind of beauty contest, that's right. He's looking for a new queen, and uh, he has several basic requirements that she's young, that she's beautiful, and that she is a virgin. That's it. Nothing about her character, and in fact, in this chapter 2, we are introduced to Esther and her cousin, Mordecai, who is raising her because she is a Jewish teenaged orphan being raised in this foreign culture, and she is chosen because of her beauty, her physical beauty, her outward beauty. If you'll remember last week, I encourage you to go back and re-listen to the sermon if you miss it, missed it, to, to listen to it for the first time. I shared with you that in chapter 2, we find that Esther is not necessarily the paragon of virtue that sometimes she is painted to be. Uh, She is taken into, we don't know what her mindset was, taken into the harem. She is prepared for a year with cosmetics and oils. Think of that, ladies. I have no idea what that might look like But she's prepared to go in and spend the night with the queen after she is taken out of the harem to do that. She's put into another part of the harem, the the harem of the concubines, and the king is most pleased with her and elevates her to the place of queen of the empire. There was almost a throwaway story at the very end of chapter 2, Mordecai. Her cousin discovers a plot. Apparently, he had something to do with the government, a plot for assassination. By the way, it doesn't say it here, but in the assassination attempt, there is the likelihood that Esther might have been killed. And so, he foils the plot, and that brings us to chapter 3. Now, let me just remind you of several things that we said last week. We talked about God's sovereignty we talk a lot about God's sovereignty. What is God's sovereignty? It's different than his providence. We're going to come to that. But we always talk about God's sovereignty because God has the authority and the power to do what he wants to do. Job 42.2 says that. Whatever God wants to do, he will do. That's God's sovereignty. But there has to be an outworking of that on a daily basis. And this has changed some of my own mindset. I hope that it's encouraging and challenging your own mindset. God's providence, and if you'll remember last week, we said that that is a, if, if you just cut that word into pro and then vidience or video to see ahead of time or basically to see to it, God has a sovereign plan, but he will see to it, listen to this, in the ordering of events globally and also individually in your life. If that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what else will. We were sitting out back talking last week, Jan and I were, and I saw a leaf falling from the tree. And I I realized after doing this study, I don't know that I would have thought about it before consciously, but I thought that leaf is falling not in a pattern that is without order. In fact, God has providentially ordained that that leaf has fallen from the tree. And so, if that is true, then it's true that in your life, the events that have happened, that are happening and that will happen, have been providentially ordered by him. I shared this with you last week. I said I would try to do this from now on. By the way, somebody asked me right after the service, Marty, what's happening in your life? And I forgot my own answer. I said, let me go look at my notes again. But I've been trying to say this. Everything is proceeding according to plan. In fact, it was interesting, in our AVF class, one of the men, he came in, sat down, and I asked him, hey, what's happening? And he responded just with the normal, everything's fine. And then he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, everything is proceeding according to plan. It's happening exactly the way it was intended to happen. Next week, I don't have time this week. Next week, I plan on coming back and talking about the incomprehensibility of God. He is knowable, but you and I know that he is incomprehensibly great. So I may not understand exactly how he's pulling it off, but here's what I know for you and for me. I hope this is an encouragement to you. There is no such thing as luck Good or bad, or pure chance in any part of your life. God actively governs the daily events of our lives, most often behind the scenes. Sometimes He does a miracle, He steps into a little slice of history and he will do a miracle that is obvious but most often he is working behind the scenes and and, and I want you to get this because it's so important he governs those activities without in any way robbing us of our duty of making responsible choices. Did you hear what I just said? Here's why I I said that, and one of the greatest fears in misunderstanding solid doctrine like this is that you're going to fall into the ditch in one of two ways. And We don't want to do that. We want to run the straight course, try to, as much as we can, live out the biblical teaching of what we're talking about in God's sovereignty and God's providence. You see, sometimes it leads people to a kind of passivity or an inactivity. And that, that can be demonstrated in, in so many different ways. You know, hey, if God is in charge of everything, then I'm just going to sit back and let it happen. That's fatalism. We don't believe in the fates. That's a, The fates, the three fates, those were mythological creatures, and they're spinning all this Stuff and you can't do anything about it. No, 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 no. The Bible never teaches passivity. Do you know what is a manifestation of that? Anxiety. Hmm. When we become, I mentioned this last week, when we listen to the news and we see global events going on, or we look at our lives and we seek to interpret today what has gone on in our lives and we're filled with anxiety, it is a sure sign that we are not trusting the providence of God. Here's another thing. I just thought, you know, I'm going to put myself here being a malcontent. just critical, dissatisfied just and it's so easy for me I again I think of the news I have I have to be careful watching the news and I, I watch li- listen I watch ABC the, the regular mainstream news and I'm gritting my teeth and I'm trying not to be critical and about what is said and what is not said, and then I watch another station, Fox, you can guess that, (laughs) and what I hear sometimes I like, and so that makes me, uh, I I can fall into being a malcontent, if not with what God is doing, then God's timing. Timing. There's no passivity if we understand providence. There's the other ditch that we can fall into. That's the opposite of passivity. I, I see a lot of Christians doing this. Well, God, if you're not going to do it, I will. And I look around, and there are some people sitting in this room today that you're, you're just naturally kind of one or the other. There are people in here that are, hey, I'm, you know, they are make it happen kind of people. But there is a sense in which you can go over and say, God's not doing anything, so I will, Sarah. She did that with Abraham. Hey, hey, do this. Go do… And that can create all kinds of problems. But here here is what I believe God really wants us to do, and I appreciate so much. I see examples of this kind of person. You you understand, and you're understanding even better the providence of God in your life. Things haven't always fallen to you. The lines haven't always fallen in, in pleasant places. You may be going through a situation, but here's what you're doing. You're trusting a sovereign God and his providential events that are happening, but you are working as if it depends on you. Does that make sense? Psalm 62 says we can, we can trust him. Now, now, look at this. We're going to look at another verse that helps us understand this. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this in poetry Hebrew poetry this is for emphasis that power belongs to God that to you O oh God belongs steadfast love so I'm trusting that God is all-powerful sovereignty and I'm, prom- I'm believing that God is also loving but look at this last phrase you will render to a man according to his work And so we trust God and we work. Nehemiah said this, Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 14. We'll we'll, we'll get to Nehemiah eventually unless the Lord comes back before we get there. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials, the rest of the people, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of the things that are going on around you, of the threats of the people. Remember the Lord, again, he's going back. He's trusting the Lord who is great and awesome. And do what? And fight for your brothers, your brothers sons, your daughters, your wives in your homes. No passivity, no acting as if it all depends upon us. So, you know, Mordecai could have fallen into this. I mean, he foils this assassination plot, saving the king, probably Esther in the process, and he gets overlooked. He's passed over for the promotion. We don't know what went on in Mordecai's heart. My guess is, if you'd ask Mordecai, "How's it going?" I hope we would have said, "Everything is proceeding according to plan." Would you? With that introduction, let's get into chapter 3, because we, we're we introduced to some new people. Now, I wondered how to do this, because here's point number one. Uh, you see it on your outline, and we're, we're actually going to read some scripture here in chapter 3. God's providence is at work through your enemies who seek your destruction. I want you to personalize that. It's our enemies who seek our destruction, and they're all around us. So, we, we want to do this. Now... Uh, I, I've labored over whether or not... I, I'm going to do this, okay? I would like you to kind of pretend, and particularly the children. I want you to help me out here. Because if we, if we were Jews in February, and we were going to be celebrating the Jewish Feast of Purim, then for sure the book of Esther is going to be read. And we're introduced to this, this new character, and his name is Haman the Agagite, and we're, or Agagite. And whenever it, it, it this, is, this is present day, and we're going to discover why they do it in this way, when, and, and they have fun with it. They, they really do, because they're celebrating God's deliverance of his people providentially at the Feast of Purim." And so when they read this story, and we're introduced to one of the arch-villains of all time, I mean, who, who are the, the worst people in history, I, in terms of villains, Judas? Would, would, would that be fair? How about Hitler? Stalin, Pol Pot, Darth Vader. Well, that's long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Think of the, the absolute worst villains there are. This is, you're going to see this if you don't know the story. This is genocide, this is, this is, is pathological hatred pictured and personified in a guy by the name of Haman so guess what they do and this is all a part we're, we're going to see this woven together okay so guess what every everybody does this adults I, I, I was wondering will the will the adults get into this or I can depend on I know I can depend on my third and fourth graders all right so you, you guys you, you can help me out whenever the name Haman is read in the story This reminds me of years ago. Have you ever attended a melodrama? You've got the bad guy and the good guy. You've got Dudley Do-Right, Pearl Pureheart, or Nell Fenwick, and Snidely Whiplash. Okay, uh, yeah, and we used to go to this uh, years ago when our kids were little in Red River, New Mexico, a melodrama, and whenever the villain came out, you would boo and hiss and throw popcorn. Yeah. Well, when the Feast of Purim comes and the name of Haman is read, everybody boos and hisses. They have these noisemakers called groggers. You ever seen them? They they go around, they make a ratchet sound and they, whenever the name of Haman is read, they make boo, hiss, all this noise. So, I'm going to read the first Six verses of chapter three. Come on now. Come on. Interactive. This is interactive. I, I, want, you to, I want you to work with me here. We're going to just pretend that we're, we, the great deliverance has come, and we're reading about it. So whenever you've got it right there, and I'll slow down and stop. Whenever the name of Haman is, why should I even have doubted? Okay, after these things, after what things? Well, Mordecai being overlooked for the job, and this is really, really unfair. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamatheta, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gates bowed down and paid homage to Haman. For the king had so commanded concerning him, but Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gates said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. They told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that, look at this, Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him. Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Thank you. Okay, you, you don't have to do it anymore. We will never get through this message because I'm going to mention the name of Haman from now on. No, 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 no. Okay, you were good, but now you're a smart, Alec. Okay this man. and you're going to see this in the next part, was the very personification of evil. Here's what God hates. He hates these things that are abomination. Haughty eyes. This guy fulfilled that. A lying tongue. Mm. We're going to see that. Hands that shed innocent blood. He hated them because, for what reason? Well, there, there was a reason that goes way back but just because they were Jews, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. Later on, he's going to be identified not just as an Agagite or an Agagite, but he's also going to be identified as the enemy of the Jews. Now, You you saw the story here. Here's Mordecai, and simply because he was a Jew, he would not bow down, and he would not pay homage to him, and so he was filled with fury. I want to stop right here and just... Haman represents all that is evil. We're not talking about you, but I'm telling you, we talked about this in our ABF class today today. Unresolved anger for a Christian or a non Christian is absolutely devastating. And Haman had a case of unresolved anger going on. He really did. We're told in Ephesians, and it's interesting when Paul spells out how do you live the Christian life and there are different motivations for doing things, like don't steal you're supposed to give so you can share with your neighbor. And he goes down and he lists motivations. Anger is the, is the only sin that he says put off. Put off this anger that has the motivation associated with the devil. And I'm not going to get a lot into this because that's not what this sermon is about, but I could not I could not overlook this, the devastation of unresolved anger that I have seen in my life and in the life of Christians throughout my ministry. And it still happens because we're we're flawed and we, we fall into this. Be angry with a righteous anger. And that's good. That's a command. But resolve it quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Resolve it in some way. Don't sin. That goes before that. But watch this. Don't give opportunity. Uh, Really, what it says there is don't give a toehold. Don't give a foothold to the devil. Here's here's what I know, and then we're going to move on. But please listen to this. Satan, well, think of it this way. Satan is a mountain climber, and you're the mountain. I'm talking about you individually. He does not need a four-lane highway in your life. All he needs is a toehold. And if you let anger go unresolved, if you let it turn into sin and go unresolved, here it is. You give him a toehold, and the destructive effects of that are they're just devastating. So much so that he sought to destroy not just Mordecai, but the entire population of the Jews, the entire race. I was thinking of this last week. I'm tr- you always, I always try to overlay this on what, what is happening today. How, how do people develop Like I said, I I wrote down pathological hatred for someone from another ethnic background. Another color of skin, if you will. And this is worldwide, and it's historical. It's been around for a long, long time. And I thought to myself, Haman would have fit nicely into the wokeness on one side, and the racism on the other side. Some of the things that we see going on today. Now watch this. It didn't happen overnight. This has a history that goes back a thousand years. And, and I want to just kind of walk you through this because there is a specific reason that he's identified as an Agagite and Mordecai is identified as a Jew. Okay? You, you may know, uh, already know this, but I, I want to share this with you because I believe that it's, 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 it's vital that we see it. Okay, here, Exodus 17, Deuteronomy 25. Go back into history. The Jewish people, after they became the covenant people in, in Egypt, they were coming out, and the very first people in the world who attacked them were the Amalekites. They didn't just attack them. It was a vicious, I'm I'm combining a couple of scriptures here, it was a vicious, vicious attack. They didn't come after their warriors. This was not fair play in war, if there is such a thing, and, and there has been through the years. They were attacking the backside. They were attacking the tail where the women and children were, and they came in and slaughtered. Women and children, and because of the way that they chose to attack God's people, there was something that we we all need to see, whether it's the Jews or the church. God made a promise to Abraham, going back to the book of Genesis chapter 12, I'll bless those who bless you, Abraham, and your children after you. And and I will curse him who curses you. And so, he said this, because Amalek didn't just do it once. They were a constant thorn in their side. But here's what he said in that same passage of Scripture. Therefore, when the Lord God has given you rest from your enemies around you, In the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall... Now, stop right here. Do you know why the Jews make noise every time Haman's name is read? Symbolically, they are fulfilling that promise from the Lord. They're blotting out... the name of Amalek. And you say, well, wh- where does that come from? Amalek? Haman? Let's go on because there is another part of the story. Let's go back to 1 Samuel. The first king of Israel was a guy by the name of Saul. Okay, yeah, yeah. And the first, one of the first duties that he was given was to fulfill this promise. All right. Now, we go back, the first part that I was telling you was a 1,000 years before Haman, the Agagite. Okay? We move 500, this is 500 years now. And so Saul is, is the king, and one of the first responsibilities he was given was to fight against Amalek, Samuel said, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. So, destroy them. Strike Amalek and devote destruction. All they have, do not spare them. Kill both man, woman, child, infant, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Whoa. Is, is God fair? Let's use that word. He is just. Our sense of fairness, now I, I will tell you this, this is, this is the second place that I see this borne out. God did not bring providentially destruction on Amalek, for 1,500 years. Why? Because God is not only just, and Amalek continued to resist and rebel and rebel and rebel and attack God's people, but God is also incredibly patient. Don't grow weary, Peter says, because it seems like the Lord is delaying in what he does. God is patient. My personal belief growing out of some other things in Scripture is that God was giving opportunity for Amalek to repent. And they didn't. And Saul came along and he said, that's it, blot them out. Blot out their very memory. So what did Saul do? He didn't obey God. You know the rest of the story Samuel comes and says, did you do what God asked you to do? Oh, yeah, I did. No, you didn't. What's the bleeding of sheep that I hear? Oh, well, yeah, we did it kind of. We we did it pretty much, but we kept the best stuff to sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel said, you've disobeyed God. The kingdom is going to be stripped from you. Now, there was one other guy that Saul spared. Do you remember who it was? it was the king, and what was his name? Agag. Okay, are are you following? Okay. His name was Agag. Saul spared him. Now, this is a quite interesting part of the story. This leads me to believe that why there was such a pathological hatred on the part of Haman, the Agagite, a descendant of Agag and Amalekai. So Samuel, knowing, obviously, that Saul had spared Agag, said, bring him here. Look at this. Bring here to me, Agag. I, I started to leave this part out, but I think it's quite interesting. Agag came to him cheerfully. He said, surely the bitterness of death is past. The king let me off the hook. And he came to him cheerfully, and Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. What was Haman? An Agagite. What was Mordecai? A Jew, in fact, if you look back, he was a descendant of Benjamin. Same tribe of King Saul. Th- this, this is a classic Hatfield and McCoy's kind of rivalry going on here. And, and, and it looks as if, because of the emphasis in the story... That Haman has, again, this pathological hatred, not just for Mordecai, but for every Jew, by virtue of the fact that they are Jews. Mordecai, okay, he's not bowing down. He's not paying homage. What's going on? Is Mordecai just insolent? Is he just being rebellious is he just basically showing the attitude i'm i'm not going to do what you tell me to do i have a right to resist your mandate and bow down to you that's that's really not the right attitude Paul says in another place, the apostle Paul, be careful lest this right of yours hurt other people. On the other hand, I, I, by the way, I don't think it's that, okay? I believe that the not bowing down and paying homage was simply because he was a Jew. And throughout history, the Jews said, we will not bow down or pay homage to anybody but Yahweh. Now, God's name is not mentioned here, but I think it is pretty obvious that he stood like Daniel and his friends stood. Do you remember the story of Daniel? There will come a time, I think, in every Christian's life when you might be asked to stand against an entire government system that tells you to do something that's going to violate your conscience before God. Now, this is interesting because the thing that it mentions in Daniel, the first chapter, is that he was asked to put something into his body that would defile his body. And he said, I can't do that. He wasn't being an againner. He wasn't being rebellious. He did it because of his submission to Yahweh God. I I tell you, this is one of those questions that as I read through this, I, I wonder if Mordecai struggled as sometimes I do. How can I be a loyal citizen in a government that is increasingly requiring us to do things that may be against our conscience and and still be loyal to Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, the feud, the bad blood, the hatred that went on between the the two races here, the Amalekites and the Jews, this went on for 400 years. And as you might expect, we're going to see this in the sermons in the days ahead. God's prophecy to extinguish fully the Amalekites and to preserve the Jews would prevail. Chapter 3, verse 7. Let's go on to the second part of this. Just one verse. By the way, you don't have to yell anymore. We got the point, didn't we? The obliteration of the name. When God says, I'm going to blot their name out, the Jews practice that to the day. Verse 7, just listen. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan... In the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast poor or pure. It, it's actually poor. These were like, archaeologists have found these. They were like little dice. And we're going to find out the reason, and that's why it's called the Feast of Purim. Uh, because it was, the day, it was the, about the casting of dye okay, the casting of poor. That is, they cast lots before Haman day after day. They cast it month after month till the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. So what were they doing there? They were trying to determine when, he had already made up his mind, but he was trying to figure out when they would attack and slaughter the Jews. Providence The providence of God is at work through the most minute and mundane details of life. I wonder if in the whole providence of God, he didn't put that verse thinking about the very act. Why didn't the dice just roll up the first month, second, third? It was 11 months. Who was in charge of the rolling of the dice? Haman? God was. The, ca- the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Do you see the implications? No, wait, I'm not talking about this story. I'm, do you see the implications for your life? And maybe what to you might be troubling circumstances, do you see that even the most minute details that you have no idea what's going to happen, that God is still in charge of those things? Just remember something, please. With God, there is no big or small. He takes care of the big things. He takes care of the smallest details and and here is the upshot of that before we get into the last point for a spirit-filled spirit-led believer the truth of God's providence that we're talking about right here takes the chance out of chance for your past present and future for a spirit filled believer, the truth of providence frees you from some of the things we've been talking about sinful anger, and it gives you a new perspective on your tragedies. And, and we're not going to call them anything else. Some of those things that have happened to you are tragedies, but if you understand the providence of God, it gives you a new understanding of those tragedies and it keeps you going in hard times I I know this God has set the day well I know that he already set the day of your birth he has set the day of your death and he has set every event in between Let's go on to the last thing and we'll end up with this. God's providence is normally not understood in the moment. Please underline this. Because right now, and that's what causes the anxiety and the the sometimes not being good with God or good with other people because of what's going on in your life. Now, watch how... We, we mentioned the things that God hates and all of the characteristics of Haman. Boy, they come out here. I'm just going to read this real quickly, the last part of this in verses 8 through 15. Hang with me as we read through. Listen to the story. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad. Now watch this. He's going to, he's going to weave half-truths into this. He doesn't even call them Jews. He just says a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples of all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different. Yeah, that's an understatement from those of every other people and they do not keep the king's laws. That is a lie at least in part so that it is not to the king's profit to tolerate them. See what he's doing? He's canceling them. These people are not even worth living. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed. And, oh, by the way, king, I'm going to pay a thousand, ten thousand talents of silver. That's, That's tons of silver. That's like a third of the budget of the Persian kingdom. Where's he going to get the money? From killing the Jews and plundering them into the hands, I'm going to take this money and I'll give part of it, king, to those who have charge of the king's business, that they may be put into the king's treasury. That's another motivation. So the king took his signet ring from his hand. This shows he was a weak-minded king. Again, he wouldn't even do the deed himself and gave it to Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamaditha, Uh, The enemy of the Jews. That's the first time he's called the enemy of the Jews. And he said, the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also to do with them as it seems good to you. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day, the first month, and an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written uh, to the king's satraps. By the way, do you know when that, that was delivered? The day before the Jews' Passover. The most joyful day became the day of great mourning. We're going to see this in the future. And to all the governors over all the provinces, to the officials of all the peoples, every province with its own script, every people in its own language, it was written in the name of the king Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers. They had kind of a pony express system. This happened quickly to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all Jews, young and old women and men, in one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, to plunder their goods. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. Now watch. This last verse is so telling about Ahasuerus and Haman. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel, and the king and Haman sat down to drink. They just went to the pub and had a had a beer. But the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. This, the ending of chapter two, and when we get into see Mordecai's response, this is these are dark days. And the Jews get this message on the eve of their Passover which was the celebration of their deliverance from Egypt. And once again, they're going to all be slaughtered. They're going to be killed. Things seem to be working out for the enemies of the Jews. And uh, things seem to be terrible for the Jews. But it's not over. Okay? Just remember it's not. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you, yet I would plead my case before you. Here is a constant theme of saints throughout the ages. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all who are treacherous thrive? But again, God has a plan. Why? Because he who touches you touches the apple, God says, of my eye. I mentioned the old melodramas. Some of us are old enough to remember those old movies. Maybe some of you have seen them on the rerun channel, but it seems like that every week, remember, every week there was a cliffhanger, and it looked like the hero was gone. That The, 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 the The bad guy was going to win. Every week it looked like that, and you were sitting there saying, what's going to happen? You had to wait until next Saturday to see how things would turn out. We're going to see that in the days ahead. The Jews look back, and they celebrate Purim, the defeat of God's enemies, the deliverance of God's people. But it's sad. Because if that's all the Jews have, someday they're going to die. Someday all of these people who were delivered were going to die. Do you see what this is pointing to? This is pointing to the greater defeat of our enemy and the deliverance of God's people by Jesus' death on the cross which is the promise of eternal life. How do you receive that? Not by celebrating a feast, not by going to church, although at church you might hear the truth, but it's by understanding that you have sinned, you've fallen into some of these things that Haman did, and yet there is a deliverer named Jesus, who died on Calvary's cross to save sinners like you and me. How do you receive that forgiveness? You repent of your sins. You turn by faith to Jesus Christ so that you won't experience what the Jews experienced then, only temporary deliverance, but eternal deliverance. If you don't know Jesus today, would you do that? And if you're a follower of Christ, would you glory and revel in the deliverance that is ours through him? Father, I thank you for the book of Esther. I thank you for the incredible truth that you're showing, the the weaving together of all of these, these threads that... Any one of them doesn't make sense, but Lord, all put together, they show the plan and the purpose of your sovereignty and your providential will. Oh God, how I pray I cry out to you on behalf of anyone, young or old, who does not know you here today. This is more than just hearing a story. This is about a personal confrontation, even right now, Confess that we are sinners before a holy God. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But through your son Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and his burial and his resurrection, by believing in him, we can have life everlasting. Lord, would you do that work in the hearts of people today? And would you encourage those of us who know you and follow you that it's not over yet and that there will be a clarity about some of the things that you're doing in our lives. If not now, then at least in eternity. So, Father, we can bank on that and we thank you for that. Now, help us to respond as we should, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.